Hello and welcome to Miss D's Lunacy. Today I have a gentleman that is a wonderful friend of mine that comes from a French heritage and during his career has become a famous chamber music composer. Please welcome Philippe Bigard to Miss D's. Welcome, Philippe. Well, so good, so happy to be here, Miss D. I'm flattered to be here, and I've also we've known each other for such a long time. Uh, we were both at the Lycée Français yeah. in New York uh, together, and gone through so many different adventures and different things. It's it's great to be here. Okay, but the thing is that you've had your own set of adventures because your father and you had this wonderful store called Ledeur of Paris. And a lot of the things that you sold here, I bought tons of things, but you brought barber jackets, wellies, and purdies to America. And you brought back some of the old English style to New York. And then, you, of course, you had beautiful briefcases, wallets, everything. So right. tell us about some of the things that you had. Well, we had shooting and hunting accessories, and we brought handmade British overlap-style cases, which became the investment banker's favorite, which was advertised in the Wall Street Journal. And later we brought in backgammon, which was something that I had a particular fancy for, and I designed some boards in 1974, 75, when I just started, represented a company called Arias. And on a Christmas vacation, I went to Beirut. And this was just before the war. And I ran into Arnaud de René, who also was selling backgammons of a very luxurious nature, under the same name. So when I first arrived in this one particular store, they said, don't tell me you're related to Arnaud. <laughs> and arrives Arnaud, and we hit it off right away and, and had lunch together at the St. George's and we started change elaborate. ideas. Elaborate. At one point we we decided we were going to bring worry beads to America to stop people from smoking. So we ended up going to the Souk in Beirut and uh, bought all kinds of wonderful worry beads that we thought were worth a fortune for a fraction of the price. And later when we got to Geneva, we saw a friend of his who told us that they were actually worthless. They were all glass. So we said, forget about this. This is not a good idea. But um, you sold 10,000 boards. Yes. On that trip, I, I went, uh, I sold them in Germany, in France, in England, in Italy, in Switzerland, and in Beirut as well. Although, That's a lot of boards. 10,000. And you sold it, to Harrods too. Yes. Harrods, Cardenaus, Papetri, and Gstaad, and, you know, Longchamp in France, and, you know, lots of different places. That was a lot of fun. And then you learned to play again. No, I was playing. And you were fascinated because it was such a fabulous game. Yes, it was a lot of fun, and it was very trendy. And actually, at Letterers, we sold thousands of them. Unbelievable. Um, so in 1976, OPEC prices went up like crazy. So you two came up with the game that was made out of petrodollars, and it was called Petropolis. Yes. It was and, similar to Monopoly, but based on oil. Of course. And it had huge publicity. Yes. We, we because were, Arnaud's a photographer, right? And so yes. he was able to get... Paris Match did this, covered it, Time Magazine, CBS. You launched it at El Morocco. You had tournaments. Yes. We, we, we had two pages in Vogue. We were in all the magazines, actually, because it was very timely. Actually, it started in 75, at the end of 75. But in 76, after having our launching, oh, by the way, the game was 
$790. There was a limited numbered edition, of which the first 36 went to all the heads of state of the oil-producing countries as complimentary gift of Arnaud Dronet, Baron Arnaud Dronet. So we got a lot of publicity that way. You know, so Aziz, King Aziz of Saudi Arabia received one, Gerald Ford received one, Perez of Venezuela. It was wonderful. Now, the one. board was tra- was translated in 14 languages, and you had a tournament, correct? Yes, we did. And our dear friend, Avril Fisk, he won the adult board. That's right. That's right. And you had a junior tournament as well. Right. We, we The juniors were for 16 and under. Uh, it threw out the nation, and the top... Uh, contestants were actually in New York. They were from the school of Buckley, Spence, and another school out in the Hamptons called uh, Boys Harbor, which was a special school for children that had certain problems and run by Anthony Duke, Tony Duke, who also had schools in Harlem. The little girl who was 16 at the time, she beat everybody else. Her math was so much better and she never traveled before in her life. And she was sent on the trip for the World Championship with Avril, I mean, because he was the adult and she was as an American representative. They, they went by Concord from Geneva to Bahrain and to Saudi Arabia and they played in the desert. And I didn't tell you, but the game had oil, gold oil rigs and silver plated derricks and um, you'd go to Geneva for the meeting and the court of The Hague was jail, etc., etc. We have timers and all these petrodollars which said in oil we trust instead of in God we trust. I love it. I love it. Are there any limited editions left? There are some. And actually, Van Cleef and Arpels oh, yeah. made the super luxurious version, which was made in rhinoceros, handmade, uh, with 18-carat gold pieces. The, the cost of it was $20,000, the retail at that time, which was a great deal of money. And we sold six of them. And the winner of the 1976 World Championship, which took place in Monte Carlo with Regine, won one of those $20,000 boards from Van Cleef and Arpels. And the junior winner received a trip to go around the world for him or her and her escort who would be there to take care of her, plus a little barrel of oil saying, in oil we trust, you know, around her neck. How fantastic. And that was so well put together. This whole marketing strategy was fantastic. It was a lot of fun, I must say. We were all quite excited. We had absolutely not a dime to spend. All we could do is just, uh, through hype, we managed to uh, sell the, the idea, and everybody was very happy. We were at Neiman Marcus and in Sackowitz and Saks Fifth Avenue, huge orders, and, you know, in, in Holt and Renfrew in Canada and, you know, all these different places in Beverly Hills and Chicago, etc. I Magnums. And so it, it, went, it went quite well. We were, we were very lucky. Van Cleef sold it to Mattel Toys. But it wasn't Van Cleef. It was the, the, the owners oh, of I Petropolis, see. which was called the René Limited, were Karshogi, Adnan Karshogi, and, and Charles de Chambrin, who owned Baccarat. And they were a little tired of spending so much money because they weren't getting anything. So oh. they sold it to the person that gave them the highest royalty, which was Mattel Toys, and unfortunately they didn't advertise. You know, it's great to have a lot of free editorial coverage, but if you don't advertise with it, it doesn't last very long. Those were the good old days. We used to play in your store all the time. Yes, we did. That was wonderful. So you and your dear friend Arnaud were great collaborators. We had a lot of fun. And in the middle of all this, there's windsurfing that's happening. It became very popular, right? Yes. But he, he was, you know, quite a showman. He was a fashion photographer, very successful. And he decided that he designed his own boards. And it was a bit of a showman. And he decided to cross all the straits of the world 
in a windsurfer. That was his dream to do. And he did it from Florida to Cuba. He did the Bering Straits, which was between Alaska and Russia, which ABC World of Sports followed uh, and filmed the crossing. And to give you an idea, his sail, on the top half of the sail was a red you know, it was under Soviet Union at the time, the red flag with an iron sickle, you know, oh. and the stars and stripes in the bottom. So when they would arrive, they would see a friendly flag yes, coming over. because he also did Alaska to the Soviet Union. That is, that's the one, Bering Straits. That's unbelievable. And then Tahiti to Hawaii. Yes, he did that one. That took much longer because it's much further. So then he got into trouble. <laughs> then he got into trouble, and they lost him at one point, but they found him. Um, and Paris Match put him on the front cover. It's like, like Life magazine, which I guess That's doesn't correct. exist anymore. Um, but they gave him 15 pages, and, and he had an, another little pontoon on the side to keep him stable so that he could sleep at night. And a little water desaltification thing, you know, to be able to have water to drink, because you can't drink salt water. And he claimed, I used to ask him, I said, how did you defend yourself in case there were sharks? Because they were so far away in the Pacific. He says, I had a Swiss knife to keep me right. going. So disasters, he went from main China, mainland China. To, now, they were all supposed to be filming him, yes. but somehow that didn't work out. Well, he couldn't get a boat to follow him when he did the last one, which was from mainland China to Taiwan. Yes. And that's when he disappeared. Which was awful, and a lot of his friends went to look for him, but we couldn't find him. Not even a bit of wood or anything. Nothing. And his his second wife, Jenna, uh, became the world champion women's world champion windsurfer. Oh. And she was a, a very successful model. She certainly was. And then they have a little daughter. Um, so Mick Jagger gave a board to. The White House photographer way back in the day, right? That's right, Dave Kennerly. Yes, lots was, of press. Which, which you know, would go on ABC, on it would go on the Associated Press throughout everywhere, saying Mick Jagger, rock star, gives White House press photographer a Petropolis valued at $790. The next moment saying, it is, was it appropriate for him to receive a gift over $25 as, an, as a member <laughs> of the government? No. Refuses gives back the board, oh, no, you know, no, no, so no. all of this kept going into the press and stuff. It was funny. But then William Paley was helping you because he was the CBS founder. Yes. Arnaud had this idea that he wanted to have free... We had no money, so everything had to be free. We wanted to have television coverage of the Petropolis tournaments. So we went to approach Bill Paley, who was the founder of CBS, a very important man, I remember the meeting, you know, I said, how can you approach this man and disturb him, you know, <laughs> for something so small? And he says, are you kidding? Well, he, he would speak to the man as if it was, the, you know, the nuclear bomb or something, you know, the most incredible thing. He said, look, you know, we have this very important game called Petropolis, which is similar to Monopoly. It's going to revolutionize the world. And all the first 30 limited numbered edition were sent to all the heads of state of the oil-producing countries. The yeah. Shah of Iran received one, Aziz, King Aziz of Saudi Arabia, Gerald Ford, the U.S., etc. And we consider CBS a state onto itself. And as the head of its state, we'd be honored if you would accept this gift. How wonderful. And so you and got a we, lot of publicity. And we got coverage for one of the games, you know, one of the uh, tournaments. 
Unbelievable. Was... I mean, that's just so much fun to be able to remember these wonderful stories. And all the water skiing we used to do together and all oh, the yeah. nonsense. We loved your father and we used to go on the bateau and water ski everywhere. But in the meantime, Philippe discovered a new passion. And that was your passion, which was decided to go to Juilliard for four and a half years, which I think is absolutely extraordinary. And you loved it. You were so happy there. And you're now composing chamber music. You have your own keyboard. This is all in your head, which is extraordinary. And you could watch him start playing notes. And then the little machine will just do the notes. For, I mean, it's extraordinary. I've never seen anything like it. And you write these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful songs. So why don't we listen to one now? And it's called Ode for Oboe, Harp, and Cello. Okay. And he wrote a little something about it. I have it here. Just to tell you a little something about it, I wrote it during the summer of 2007 in Wainscott. And I've long been fascinated by the harp, its sonority, its texture, and its associations which stretch back to ancient Egypt and Greece. It combines well with the mysterious sounds of the oboe and the soul of the cello. Each instrument announces its character individually before entering into a conversation with the others. They talk to each other. The first movement ends with a harp cadenza acting as a question mark, which is then answered in the next movement. It's wonderful, and now we're going to hear it right now.
So you had a very fabulous teacher. I mean, were there some teachers that really moved you at Juilliard, or you just worked strenuously like a good boy? Well, yes, I, I did have some wonderful teachers. Worked with well, there's so many. So not only have you done this, and you're actually I mean, making your own music, but you have been Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, Barge Music in Brooklyn. You have private clubs, private homes. You've had shows in galleries. Palm Beach. You were at the Music of Contemporary Art in Washington. That is extraordinary that your career is just taking off in such a spectacular way. You've done so many of these shows. I've seen them all, and they're really good. But we'd like our audience to hear how you, they can find your music. Well, you can find it on YouTube if you put, on, put in my name, Philippe yes, Bigar. But I'd like to spell it correctly because Philippe is spelled P-H-I-L-I-P-P-E. Yes. Bigar, B-I-G-A-R. Right. It's also, the music also is listed under Bigarini. <laughs> well, we have so many Italian friends and French friends that we all speak so many different languages. So your music is divine and you are planning, I think, in the near future... Another show. Yes, another concert in November. How wonderful. For clarinet and... It's a sextet for clarinet and strings. Last year we did a couple of shows, which was harpsichord, oboe, flute, and bassoon. And, I mean, we've done them in Florida, which you attended. Well, I love the harp. That's one of my prettiest instruments to me, anyway, and the violin. Yes. So now what we're going to do is we're going to play... Your other song, which is called Catorce. Yes. Now, just to tell you a little something about that. Yes. That was written while I was at Juilliard. It was a collaboration with a choreographer. You know, Juilliard is divided into three schools, the music school, the drama school, and the dance department, the, the schools. And they worked usually separately, but they also worked together. And we were given this assignment to work on a collaboration and this particular girl who I worked with called Kira Green was extremely talented and it's about a four and a half minute piece for two marimbas and a flute. Mm. And you're going to hear that now. It's called Catorze. Catorze. So let's hear it now. Thank you. 
It's wonderful. I love that song. It's so cheery. I did like it. I do very much. Now, congratulations, you've gotten married. So now you have a more sedate life, and you're going to continue with your music and your wonderful work, and wish you all the best of luck. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It was such a treat to be here. And if we have a show, we're going to put it on YouTube so everybody can come. Great. All right? Fantastic. So thank you, Philippe, for coming. Thank you so much, And Ms. we're going to really enjoy your music, which I think is very special. And don't forget, lead us not into temptation. We can find it ourselves. God bless. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. <laughs>